We at Global Nomad Hacks are peace heroes. By playing Peace and Harmony program during this episode, we help create one million pockets of peace by dissolving stress and tension. To be your own peace hero and get your own copy, go to peaceandharmonydownload.com. Welcome back to Global Nomad Hacks. I'm Dr. Heidi Forbes-Usta, and today I'm excited to introduce to you a new friend. Her name is Ellie McPherson, and she has been developing a new company that's going to be supporting Global Nomads, which is what we're all about. And so I'm really excited to hear about sort of where she came up with the idea and what kinds of things she plans on doing with this and hear a little bit more about her story. So welcome, Ellie. Hi, Heidi. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So can you give us a little background on sort of, you know, you you had your own experience of being a global nomad, as often is the case when people go into industries to support them. Can you give us a little background on sort of what made you passionate about this topic and sort of how you ended up there? Sure. I've always been a traveler, loved it from a very early age. And so I traveled on and off for for work, for volunteer work, for a study as a study abroad student. But I'd never done the real backpacking scene. It was something that always intimidated me, the lack of structure and sort of not really knowing where you're going. So about three years ago, I was living in Washington, D.C., and I have always worked in the international development space. So my early love for travel kind of led me to study international development and to go to work in that space. Ironically, I worked in D.C. in a headquarters role, which didn't involve a lot of travel. And after about six years of living in D.C. and, and working in the international development space, I had essentially hit like that mid-30s burnout that a lot of people hit, where I started wondering what I was really doing with my life. I didn't see myself as being 100% career-oriented. I also saw a lot of my friends starting to partner up and move away and have kids, and neither path felt quite right for me. So I quit my job. I sold my condo. I studied yoga. And did a bunch of random things. And then I got to that point where I realized that the, the, the big thing I hadn't done, despite being a travel lover, was the big backpacking trip. And I had you know, fears around it, around what will people say about me? Will they think I've totally lost it if I go and do this in my mid-30s? You know, how will I fill all that time? Because I'm someone who likes structure. I didn't know what I would, you know, I just had a lot of questions around how I would do it. But I knew it was the, the scary thing I hadn't done yet. And I needed to do it. So I set out, it was right right around December, right before Christmas. And on the advice of someone else who had done it, who I knew as a friend of a friend, I decided to start with something that was structured. So I flew to Myanmar and I was part of a bicycle trip. It ended up being me and this older British couple. We had an amazing time cycling through rural Myanmar. I loved it. That ended up being this week-long cycling trip. And that really set me off on a good foot to travel the rest of Myanmar on my own. And then I continued on for five more months throughout all of Southeast Asia. When I set off on that trip, I really didn't have a clear intention of what I was doing. It just seemed like the big, scary thing I hadn't done. But I didn't really take the time to think about what I was looking for in that trip. And what that meant was that there were times where I was a bit lost. I didn't have that kind of guiding star of what I was doing on this trip. I knew that I wanted to teach yoga. So in, in some ways, that was the only thing that gave me guidance was that I was trying to find an opportunity to teach yoga, which I, eventually I did. And that led me to Laos where I taught yoga at a hotel for five weeks. But in between that, there was definitely moments of, and I think this is something that does affect backpackers of the sort of analysis paralysis 
when you have all the time in the world and all the options at your fingertips, it can be totally overwhelming. And, and I would just sort of like get into total like analysis paralysis mode for a couple of days and then slowly things would shift and I'd be able to come up with a plan and okay, I'll go here for a week and then I'll go there for a week. And then this visa is one month. So it would sort of come together. But I think because I didn't always have that clear sense of the bigger purpose of the trip to guide me, that at times was difficult. And I think most travelers can attest to this. It was also at times a total roller coaster of an experience. The experience that comes to mind was this one day where I was on this island called Copenhagen in Thailand. It's a very pristine sort of magical place. And I had gone there specifically because, as I mentioned, I like structure and that was something that was hard for me when I was traveling was not having it. I think at that point I was maybe three months in and looking for something to give my day more, more structure and not have to always think every day about where am I going to stay? What am I going to do? So I'd signed up for a, this is before I, I did the thing in Laos where I actually taught yoga. I'd signed up for a little mini aerial teacher training program on this island. I got there. It turned out the program was not a very high quality. And so I left it, which meant that I was living like not where other backpackers were living, but in this remote kind of hotel without a plan and feeling that the idea I'd had had fallen apart. So everything was, it was one of those things where everything is sort of going wrong and all these little things start to pile up. So that happened. And then I thought I had one more day at the hostel. I had rented a motorbike to go out for the day. I go out to down to the desk to ask for water. And she, the lady says, Oh, you have to, you're checking out today. And I was like, no, I, I think it's tomorrow. Double checked. Turned out I hadn't read the thing right. So I had to run back to my room. I had one hour to pack everything up and, you know, smash it all into my duffel. I was like, okay, I did that. I'll figure out where I'm sleeping tonight later. I'm determined to go out on this motorbike because I was going to go find this hidden trail. But by the time I'd done all that, I was super hungry. I need to eat. So I go to a nearby restaurant. I eat. I call a friend who had also traveled and kind of reassured me that it's okay. It can, you know, it's, there are days that are hard and you're not alone. And which is what I needed to hear at that time. And then after I eat, I go back to the motorbike to go finally go on this hike. And it turns out I had left the key in the ignition and drained the battery. So oh. we have to call the motorbike guys and things that they come and give me a brand new motorbike. I finally get going. I get lost. I get, I'm getting so frustrated with myself that my whole day, you know, all these little things start piling up. I finally get to the start of this trailhead after much getting lost. And I start hiking up the trail and I get maybe not five minutes into the trail. And I realize that I've been using my phone as a navigation aid and I had left it in the little dashboard cup holder of my motorbike. So I'm like, oh my God, my phone is my lifeline. When I'm traveling. So I start sprinting it back to the bike. And as I'm doing this, there the ground was quite rocky and I slipped and fell and like gashed open my leg. It's now my hands are bleeding, my leg is bleeding. It was the probably the low point of that whole trip. I get back to the bike, find my phone, thankfully. There was this older couple who saw me and, and all I needed in that moment was for someone to see me as a human. And they were like, are you okay? And I started to cry and they gave me a hug. It was exactly what I needed in that moment. And they were like, maybe you should go back and relax. I was like, no, I'm a very determined person. I was doing this hike. <laughs> so I pull myself together. I get back on the trail. This is probably like the low moment of the whole trip. And I get back on the trail. I'm hiking along. And without with, within, without much time passing, I catch up with this other guy who was also hiking, a German guy. 
we start chatting, we become friends, we end up taking the whole way together, and then ending up at this pristine beach that you can only access via this trail. And, you know, we're swimming in these turquoise waters. It looks like we're in some sort of Jurassic Park fairyland. And we end up becoming friends and going to the, one of the famous Copenhagen half moon parties later that night, which ended up being super fun. And I tell that story because for me, it kind of symbolizes that roller coaster of travel where you can have like the worst moment and then later that night have an amazing moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's a common thing for many travelers is that it's that roller coaster of emotion and trying to find the meaning in that and, and kind of leveling out, you know, what's when the good moments are, when the bad moments are realizing your resiliency as a person in that, um, like kind of all of the lessons that you can learn about who you are as a person in both those really good moments and in those really trying moments. Absolutely. I mean, it, it really encapsulates all of them. And it is so true. When you're traveling, it is just a constant tugging between being you're sort of teetering on the edge of uncomfortable to sort of ecstatic to close to tears. <laughs> And they can all happen within a very short period of time. And every single piece of it is, you know, is an incredible learning moment. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. Obviously, that was something that was very profound for you as an experience. And you continued on your journey for a while. And then, from what I understand, you you sort of came back from that feeling like there was, you know, a place where your skills might be better put to put to use or where your passions may lie more than sitting in an international development office? Yes. So I came back from that trip at the end of June, 2018. And I spent a lot of that trip. I mean, I spent, there was a fair amount of, of, when you're traveling, you spend a lot of time alone. And so I did spend a lot of that time reflecting on where I had gone at that up to that point in life and what I had enjoyed about my previous careers and about life and what I cared about and who I was and the kind of life I wanted going forward. Mm-hmm. And definitely one thing I thought about a lot on that trip was in my previous jobs, one of the biggest things I had always enjoyed was mentoring interns and junior staff and sort of, I think in some ways I was kind of like the in-house therapist <laughs> for all the teams that I was on, the one who kind of talked to everybody and and how much I just love talking to people and hearing their stories. So I decided that I wanted to pursue coaching. So when I came back to the U.S., I enrolled in a professional life coaching program which was amazing and started coaching mostly on the side. And at the time, I think I, I thought I would do it more within, within nonprofits and organizations, which had been my, what I'd always done. But over time, this life coaching around traveling came to me as I spent more time reflecting on my own trips and some of the experiences that I relayed to you around how I didn't really have an intention when I set out and how in some ways that I think made my trip harder than it needed to be. Mm-hmm. And there was just moments where I felt like super lost and really needed, frankly, a lifeline. Someone who could have been there for me throughout the trip, who really understood what I was experiencing. Because another experience I remember from that trip is, I think it was the same around the same time, I was just having this hard moment when I was in Thailand and, and talking with a, a friend back home. And they just didn't have a lot of sympathy for me, right? Because I was on a beautiful beach in Thailand. Like life mm-hmm. should be great, right? <laughs> so friends back home who are still at work every day or live dealing with their mundane lives, it's kind of hard for them to sympathize with, with you when you're in another place and they think, oh, well, you're in a new place. So everything should be great. But another thing that travel teaches you is that wherever you go, there you are. 
And just mm-hmm. because you go to some beautiful new place doesn't mean that you leave all your problems behind. It might seem like that for a while, but when you take away all the excuses, you know, with my job, my boss, my family, my friends, they don't get me, whatever. And you put yourself in a totally different situation and the same patterns, the same thought, the same thoughts, limiting beliefs, et cetera, start coming up. It's a really powerful chance to examine those and say, well, who am I? What's the, what's the common factor here? It's me. And, and to begin to like separate yourself from the situation and realize that what really needs to change if you want things to get better in your life is you. And I think travel just is such an experimental, a great place to experiment with that. And with the help of someone along the journey with you who can kind of bring you back to that intention, help keep holding up that mirror. You can see that you're the common factor in these situations and encouraging you to make the changes that you need to make in yourself. I think that is really what is the key in helping people find the change they're really seeking when they go on long-term travel. So that is when is how I arrived at this idea for, for travel coaching out of all of that experiences. Well, and I think it is, is a bit that missing component. And certainly for global nomads who've done it for a while, we've all had that experience of sort of lack of sympathy when, you know, when something goes wrong, you reach out to your your non-nomad friends and they're like, yeah, whatever. Uh, you know, who are you? You're wherever you're, you know, grass is always greener. Right. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people do choose to do the nomadic thing for a year or two or maybe for a lifetime, but whatever period that they choose to do it, to find a support system that can be that lifeline is not as easy as, as you think. And just like all of the other systems, it's like, you know, finding the right insurance company that will cover you in different countries that understand, you know, someone dealing with your taxes that understands if you're living in two different countries and you have two different passports, what does that all mean? It adds a layer of complexity that if you're, you know, if the people that are your support system don't understand that layer of complexity, they can't really support you in the way that needs to be supported. So I would think that, you know, what you're doing and the perspective that you're coming from can be really, really helpful and much needed. Completely. I echo you on the what you just said about the insurance and all those things, because as I'm become myself a digital nomad in the last six months, I have very much had those issues and try to explain to someone who lives in one state how hard it is to get health insurance in the U.S. when you don't really live in one state. <laughs> it's like something they've never had to think about. Oh, absolutely. And it comes down to everything from like, you know, where do I vote if I'm not in my uh, the country that I live in or that I'm registered in? You know, all kinds of different complexities like that. But the support system is that piece that you know, even when we're not traveling, sometimes we forget to seek out. Do you find that at this point, we talked a little about this in the green room, and I think that it's a conversation that we've been having a lot recently around global nomads, is travel's a little bit addicting. And a lot of us who are global nomads are almost more comfortable outside of our comfort zone than we are in what should be our comfort zone. So repatriating is really hard. And whether you're repatriating or you're you're unable to travel from where you're at for the moment, it's a whole different conundrum. And what does that mean emotionally? What does that mean in terms of what kind of support systems you need? It's very different than from how do I make my next transition? It's how do I feel comfortable staying where I'm at? Mm-hmm. And I'm curious as to sort of how that has been for you in terms of your thinking about what kinds of things you can support your clients with in helping them work through that issue? Yes, I agree with everything you said, because that has personally been my experience and people that I've been speaking to during this time. So 
like my personal experience of that is that just to go back in my story a little bit, I came back to the US, I did the life coaching thing. I got my consulting business up and running, still doing nonprofit management, which is what I'd always done before as a main career. And then for the last six months, since September of this year, I was in Latin America doing the digital nomad thing. So working full time, it's a totally different experience than just being a backpacker. And I came back to the US, what turned out to be pretty good timing on March 5th. Mm-hmm. It was meant to be like a couple of weeks. I was going to visit my family. I was going to ski. And then I didn't have a super firm plan, but it was to go off again. So I came into Washington, D.C. to visit my brother in early March. And two months later, I'm still here. <laughs> and so all of those experiences have been you know, personally something that happened to me, too. And I think when I think back to that, that first week that I was in D.C., I was with my brother and my nephews and you know, really happy to see them again. But I remember feeling really sad and trying to figure out you know, what was that sadness about. And I think it was, to your point, realizing that a lot of my motivation in life had come from being able to travel. And I used that to kind of justify other things in my life that I wasn't doing. Mm. And also I felt, I remember feeling really vulnerable because I don't have a home. And in that time, everybody was hunkering down at home or with family or with partners. And I didn't have that, you know, because travel has been where I go when I meet people and and feel like I'm with like-minded people. And then coming back to DC, which is where I live for six years, I still have a handful of friends here, but I felt really out of place that I was losing my connection to the global nomad community, which is where I felt like I finally found sort of my, my tribe, my people. And then coming back into DC, which is more conservative, more, more work oriented, more family oriented. It, just, it made me feel vulnerable and like really sad. And once it got clear on that, I realized how to handle that better. And also that there are other people in the same situation and to start reaching out more to people like myself who could relate to like this pretty unique situation of not really having a home in a time when everybody is going home. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, I, my sister was very similar situation in that uh, she was with her partner down in um, South America in Argentina, which is where he's from. And they rushed back because they were worried about his visa expiring and then not having to wait for the processing outside of the country, which is a whole different issue. But we had the same with, with my husband. So he had to stay here. But it was interesting because she had sold her house. And so she, you know, she was sort of like, well, I'm homeless. I'm going back to the US, but I don't know where I'm going to be. And it was, you know, do you find an Airbnb? And everything was in storage. And so you, you aren't coming to a place, you don't necessarily have that anchor that you would have had before if you're sort of forced repatriation or repatriating sooner than you had anticipated. So whether it's you've rented out your house and you thought you were going to be gone for two years and you come back a year early and you have to stay somewhere else that's not quite home. I think that can be uh, quite jarring for people, particularly people with kids, because kids have a hard time adjusting to that. Exactly. And like you said, there wasn't a lot of time to get your head wrapped around it. It happened really fast. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the things uh, that you talk with clients about or resources that they might reach out to in order to connect with the expat community or the traveling digital nomad community when they're, they're landlocked or, or they're in lockdown, so to speak? So for me, the two things that have been helpful are being part of Facebook groups that cater to these kinds of population. Mm -hmm. And also, so I'm in a couple like female global nomad remote groups. And then what's also been really helpful for me is that 
when I went to South America this fall, I went with a program called Unsettled, which is kind of like a co-living, co-working retreat program. So a couple of resources that have been helpful to me during this time so that I don't feel totally disconnected from this whole world that I used to be part of have been a couple of Facebook groups that cater to female global nomads or digital workers, because it's also important to me to not lose connection with people outside the U.S., that perspective of people who are living the same experience, but oftentimes actually in ways that are more extreme than we have here, like friends in Italy or Argentina, where they they really can't go anywhere without being sent back in support, has helped keep me feeling relatively grateful that I can still go outside of it for the privileges I do have here in the U.S. and realizing that in some ways it's not quite nearly as bad as here and not feeling like my connection to an international world is totally gone. So Facebook groups. And then I've also been fortunate that when I traveled to South America this fall, I did a co-working, co-living retreat program with a company called Unsettled. And they have set, opened up a mastermind chat group within for their alumni. And so that's kept me connected to that community and people around the world as well. And then I was in Argentina for four months before I came here. So just keeping up my friendships there has been really meaningful for me as well. In many ways right now, I feel more connected to those communities than I do with my U.S. friends who I've known for 20 years, but who are pretty heads down in trying to homeschool their little kids and work and and all that, which is just at this point, not my life. No, I hear you. And I mean, it really is seeking out the things that feed your soul. And whether that's just that human connection and the opportunity to have a conversation with someone that really gets what's going on for you. But I think the really strong point that you brought up there is the importance of just sort of perspective and gratitude. We're in, I'm in California, and we have been so incredibly fortunate in that even when we've been in shelter in place, as long as you could access things without motor vehicles, We've been able to go out and go for hikes and been encouraged to take, you know, take the dog out and and get outside. And so we've been able to get out and have fresh air. And I remember about three weeks in to the shelter in place and quarantine, talking with friends of mine in Barcelona that hadn't been out of their apartments other than, you know, absolute essentials like going to the pharmacy and going and then going back to their houses. And that was one thing. But then five weeks into it, no, seven weeks into it, it was the first day that they got out. And they were allowed to go out and exercise. And the looks on their faces in the photographs, just the the elation to be out in the fresh air and the pictures of the clear skies looking out over the ocean in Barcelona. And, you know, it just really made me so grateful for what we've had and grateful that they finally got to have that too. But sometimes that perspective is really, it, well, for one, it's a gift, but it's something that we need to remind ourselves to take even when we're in place, because most of us are very, very fortunate. Yes. And I do think, especially here in the US, like, as you said, we have shelter in place, but it's not really enforced and we can still get out. So for me, being able to ride my bike was something I couldn't do when I was traveling. So having access to that, again, has been really important to me. Just, yeah, being able to be out and be happy about that. I've even been sending you know, pictures of greenery to my friends in Argentina because they haven't left their houses in a long time. Yeah. And another thing that I have also thought about in all of this is I've always been an adventurer and I've always loved travel and starting to think more about you know, what are those key pieces? Is it, you know, what is the thing that lights me up about travel? And for me, a lot of it is I love exploring. Like I love finding out, I love little challenges of how to figure out how to get somewhere, you know, 
when you're traveling, even the most mundane thing, trying to buy something at the grocery store or how to get from A to Z can become a whole adventure. Mm-hmm. You're so proud of it at the end because it was a challenge. And I've noticed at one point, even though I could go outside, I wasn't, I was sort of getting in a rut. I was working a lot at this point going online is sort of one of the few things we can do. And then like spending my social life online as well. And then going to the grocery store, same grocery store, same route and starting to get a bit depressed about it. So when I pulled back, I realized it's because I need adventure and a sense of challenge to thrive. Like that's the key to my being. So I've been trying to bring that sort of more traveler mindset in the small ways that I can to my daily life. So for me here in DC, even though I lived here for many years, I haven't been everywhere. So I've been going on sort of meandering walks and discovering little bits and pieces of neighborhoods that I've walked past a million times, but never really gone back in there. The other day, I found this little community garden that I didn't know existed. So that has been giving me that, just these little glimpses of that sense of excitement about finding some new thing or going on a map and being like, okay, I want to find out where this historical house is that I read about. And then I go on my little walk and I try to find it. In those ways, that gives me that little uh, like zing of traveler joy that I can't get right now as an actual traveler. Absolutely. Actually, uh, last week I wrote an article for LinkedIn that was exactly on that sort of thinking uh, that we, you know, we need to use our traveler's mindset and our traveler's head, so to speak, when we are out in our own spaces. And I always joke with my husband that we see more of where we're living when we have guests come to visit and we treat our area as if we're tourists. And we often Mm -hmm. don't really explore the places that we live in. We don't take advantage of all the things that are really in close proximity. And I think that that is something that we're all having the opportunity to do and sort it's sort of forced, but at the same time, I mean, even just walking down, instead of driving down your, your road, you're walking down your road and you notice the different types of trees and what's in bloom. And just, I mean, I've met my neighbors because of this. I never would have met my neighbors. Nobody says hello, or they may, you know, give you a nod, but people don't have conversations. Now they're stopping. Say, like, oh, you live on this street? You know, well, we're, we're here and we're two people and we have a dog and when you put that traveler's mindset on and that adventure mindset, no matter where you are, and in particular where you are right now, it can open up to a more joyful experience, even when you're in place and you can't move, you can't do that travel that we so crave. So Exactly. Well, it sounds like we are great minds thinking alike. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you are, you've started to build this company and you're going to be doing more coaching. Can you tell us a little bit about how that works and if folks are interested in, in reaching out to you to maybe work with you, if they're feeling that, that little, need a little extra support and a lifeline, how do they reach out and uh, get in touch with you? Sure. They can go to my website, which is www.beyondtheitinerary.com and send me an email that way. And I'm really happy to talk to anybody right now who's a traveler struggling to reintegrate. This is actually, despite you know not being able to travel, I think this also is an opportunity to do what many of us don't take the time to do, which is to integrate and process what we've learned through our travels. I think in our culture, that's sort of, okay, next thing, we don't always really sit down and, and digest what the learnings were from our travels. So in a way, this period is a great chance to do that with past trips. And that's something I really love holding space for. And then it's also a time to for people who were considering travel. In some ways, because you can't travel right now, I think when we can travel again, it will be all the more meaningful 
And there will be uh, hopefully even more focus on people getting clear on the intent of what a trip is all about. And that's something I love to work with people on is digging into that why. And then from that why, then planning the itinerary and what they want to do and what they want to get out of it and how they want to feel. So I think this is a great time to begin sowing those seeds for what those future trips might look like and taking the time to get more intentional about what the trip will be and what it will mean to you. I love it. I think that so many great points. And I think that to the point of right now, we have that moment for pause to, you know, to look at what we've experienced and to process it. And even, I mean, I think about all of the pictures that I have in my photo, in, in my phone, really. You know, it used to be you come back from a trip and you print out the pictures and you put them in a photo album and you can sort of flip through it in those moments where you're sitting in front of the fire. And now, we just keep them all on our phone. So maybe it's an opportunity to sit down and go through those images and print them out in a book so that we can, you know, sort of relive our travel experience through the memories. And But also, I think it helps sort of trigger the memory of what we got out of that adventure. So I'm thinking about that. Same thing, all my pictures are on my phone. And you start going through those trips and reflecting, oh, yeah, like that, in that trip, I was in this point in my life, and I was thinking about this or it gives you some space to think about how much has changed, what you learned on that trip, and then how that became the catalyst for something else in your life. So it's sort of like putting the pieces together retroactively. Well, absolutely. And it's it's sort of, you know, it's taking those Facebook memories and having a little more control over them. I mean, I do love that feature on Facebook where it pops up things every, I don't know, you know, sometimes they're 10 years old, sometimes they're three years old, but it's like, oh, I remember that. But I think you know, we we don't take the time to sort through our experiences. Sometimes we get in busy mode. And I, the, the gift of Corona has been that we've been forced out of busy mode to a time of reflection. And so hopefully we'll be more mindful as we move forward into the next adventures, wherever they might take us. So That is certainly my hope. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. And I think that it's much needed. And I hope folks will reach out to you if they feel they need that extra lifeline, whether it's while they're grounded or whether they're planning their next adventure. And I look forward to hearing from you and finding out where your next adventure might be. I'm still figuring that out. Good for you. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Ellie. And thank you, Global Nomads, for joining us. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of the great upcoming shows. And if you really like the show, we always appreciate a rating and a review. And don't forget to let us know if you do give us a review, because we love to boast about it and send our friends a little gift as a thank you for taking the time. So thank you, Ellie, and we'll catch you all later. Bye bye for now.